chapter. Nicole Duquesne. Bothered by another dream, Nicole tossed in her bed. Every night since she lost her father, the same dream had repeated itself, causing her to wake up in a cold sweat. Tonight's dream started out the same way, but what happened afterwards was totally unexpected. Nicole woke up frustrated and angry. Why is this happening to me? Why'd this dream happen again? She mumbled to herself as she clutched her blanket close to her chest. You should have figured that out by now, don't you think? Said a voice very close to Nicole. Shocked, she turned quickly to see a teenage girl looking at her stereo. She looked almost like Jennifer and could have easily passed for her sister if Jennifer had one. The girl was dressed in a white blouse and skirt with a strange iridescent glow. Who are you? What are you doing in my room? shouted Nicole, more nervous than angry, but nevertheless confused as to why the girl's clothing seemed to shimmer as she moved. The girl turned around and smiled at Nicole. Hi. Get out, screamed Nicole. Having someone, anyone, even a stranger in her room early in the morning was definitely pushing against her comfort zone. Like, why are you so rude? asked the girl. Nicole cocked her head. The way the girl looked and talked didn't match up. I, who are you? And why are you glowing like that? The girl smiled again. You do have a lot of questions, don't you? Oh well, where do you want me to start? You can start by getting out of my. No longer smiling, the girl held up her hand. Now I understand why you don't understand much. It's your attitude that prevents you from understanding. Like, give me a break. Who are you trying to fool? Nobody's falling for that pre-adolescent, totally hormonal, I know more than you pushy little, nobody understands me act. You're the one isolating yourself. You're the one responsible for your own confusion. And you're the one hurting yourself by being such a uptight, spoiled brat. For the first time in her teenage life, Nicole found herself unable to even think of a response. The words coming from the girls seemed to pierce deeper than anyone had ever done before. So Nicole just sat there, knees against her chest, arms folded around her knees, and with eyes staring at the girl in disbelief. Ouch, I'm sorry did that hurt, asked the girl. Nicole nodded, more somber than before. Good. Just remember this feeling before you use your tongue to lash out at someone, like you've done so many times in the past. It's not really a positive trait to have, and you'll quickly find yourself alone. The girl paused before continuing. Before we start, I see you have one burning question to ask me. Nicole nodded. Go ahead and ask away. I promise not to bark at you again. Unless you push me, of course. Nicole cleared her throat. How do you know so much about me? Who are you? Smiling again, the girl answered. I was sent to shed some light on your present predicament. My predicament? Yes, your predicament. She cocked her head and gently slapped Nicole on the forehead. Hello. Like the dream you keep on having. Duh. Nicole was stunned at the act. Only she and Jennifer practiced that gentle slap on the forehead. Nobody else knew about it. Nicole, hello, are you still with me? Nicole shook her head, clearing the cobwebs and focused on the girl again. Yeah, I. Look, I'm here to get through to you any way I can. If using a simple forehead slap got your attention, then so be it. Now, let's get back to your dream. I've only told Jennifer. How could you possibly know about my? Oh, never mind, said Nicole. This time the girl laughed. You are catching on, aren't you? Yeah. 
You seem to know everything about me. You know. You never said who you were. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. The girl paused, then took a deep breath, then sat at the edge of Nicole's bed. Yeah, you're right, but it's more important to focus on the message than the messenger. What? Oh, brother. Now I know why Jennifer loves your forehead so much. Hey, all right, that's a cheap shot. But let's focus on your dream before we discuss anything else, okay? Nicole nodded. Good. Now, let's see. Oh, right. You're wondering why you dreamed this horrible dream again, right? Yeah, can you tell me why? Asked Nicole. I'm getting there, be patient. First, have you ever wondered why there were two evil men in the house in the dream? Nicole thought briefly. No. Fine. Second, have you ever wondered why your mother was so quick to fight against one of them? No, answered Nicole. Okay. Third, have you ever wondered why your father stopped that snake-like tongue from striking you? Because he still cares for me, I guess, Nicole said quickly. She was starting to get upset about how little she really knew. Don't lose it. I'm just putting everything together so you can understand. I'm not trying to make you look stupid, said the girl. Well, it sure does feel that way. The girl looked up at the ceiling and shook her head. Look, I can't control how you feel, all right. She paused for a while. Can I go on? She asked. When Nicole nodded, the girl continued. Nicole, believe it or not, you were given a gift. You've been blessed with dreams directly from the hand of God, but you're so caught up in yourself and your feelings, you can't see past your own eyelashes. Now, wait a minute, said Nicole, cocking her head. Be quiet and keep your ears open, the girl responded roughly. There's some really serious stuff going down, and you're in the middle of it, despite how you feel. I know you just want to shut everything and everyone out with your loud music. You want to push back the pain and loneliness, just so you could keep your meager grip on your current state of affairs. But do you really know what you're doing? You're really pushing yourself away from everyone who cares about and loves you. If you could just for once stop being a teenager and become Nicole Duquesne, you'd fully understand everything I'm trying to show you. Again, the words cut deep into Nicole. Guilt started to rise as she considered how she treated her mother, and yes, even Brad. She never considered the fact she was hurting them, pushing them further away, and rejecting them whenever she played her music loudly. Was she really that person? Nicole, your mother needs you, the girl continued. Your father needs you. Your brother needs you. Your grandmother needs you. Tears began to flow. Nicole desperately tried to wipe them from her face, but there were just too many. What do you want from me? Hey, I'm sorry if this hurts, but sometimes getting rid of something ugly hurts. Oh, great. So now I'm ugly, asked Nicole. The girl gently placed a hand on Nicole's knee. No, Nicole, just your attitude. And from what I'm seeing right now, it's changing for the better, said the girl. If I was there to help mommy or daddy, daddy wouldn't have been taken away, said Nicole. Now crying as she spoke, there were two of them, so one of them could distract my mother. Mommy fought one of them because there was no one else to help her, and she felt that force was the only way to get them out. That other one threw his tongue at me because he thought I was going to stop him from taking daddy. He was going to hurt me, and it probably would have hurt, but daddy saw the fear in my eyes and stopped him. Daddy sacrificed himself because he didn't want me to get hurt. Oh dear God, it's my fault. It's my fault they took daddy. I wasn't strong enough to save him. I could have saved him, but I was scared. I could have helped mommy, 
but I was scared. Nicole stared into the girl's eyes as she continued. It's my fault, isn't it? Please, don't tell me it's my fault. The girl sighed, happy about what she had just heard. Thank you for seeing. Now here's what must be said to you. Nicole, God sent me tonight to open your eyes and to set you straight. You've always had the right to reject me and not listen, but you didn't. The dream you've had is a message from God. He wants you to know your family is in danger of being destroyed by evil forces. Your mother feels the burden of fighting this battle alone. She has prayed for strength from God, but hasn't really listened to his words. Fighting this battle, the way she thinks she has to, is more than she can bear. She can't do it. If she does, the outcome would be a broken home, a lost husband and regret. Nicole remembered from her dream how her mother was on the floor, anguishing over the fact her husband was gone. She also remembered how hard her mother fought the man in her house. The girl continued, In your dream, the man holding your father threw his tongue at you. You would have been hurt, but your father stopped it. Your father saw you all were in danger, and the only way to save his family was to do whatever his evil abductor wanted him to do. Little did he know he was to become one of them. The girl stood up and stared at Nicole. Nicole, your family is fighting the same fight separately. If all four of you stood together against these men, this evil would have failed. But instead you, your brother, and grandmother scattered, leaving your mother to carry the burden alone, and allowing your father to be taken. Your family must join together. Only then will your father have a fighting chance. Nicole sniffed and wiped tears from her face. I guess I've always known that. I'm still scared though. Those men scare me. I know, said the girl. That's one of their strongest weapons, fear. If they can make you fear them, then the battle's over. When you fear, you either become frozen or fluid. Fluid. You run away. Oh. Nicole, don't forget what happened here tonight, and don't hesitate to act. You know what you must do. You're the key to bringing strength to your brother and mother. Don't let the nightmare come true. What about Grandma? Asked Nicole. She's good. God has given her exactly what she needs to be in sync with you guys. Nicole nodded. I'm still scared, but if I ever want my father back, I know what I have to do. The girl smiled. Oh, I almost forgot. I'm an angel sent from God to give you this message and to open your eyes. With those last words, the girl disappeared, leaving Nicole alone in her room. Nicole put her head on her knees and started praying. It all seemed so real. The sensations, the conversation with the girl, and even the soft slap on the forehead. She looked at her clock. 4.47 a.m. As the kink in her neck screamed for attention, she knew there was no going back to sleep. Later that morning, Lisa stirred uneasily in her bed. Throughout the night she had tossed and turned, battling against fears and doubts about Sean. The smell of breakfast slowly drew her from her sleep. She figured the kids let Vicky in the house early today. Lisa lumbered out of bed, dressed, and made her way to the dining room. Along the way, she thanked God for the buns spending time with them. Even though the burden of holding the family together was hers, it felt good unloading some of her concerns on them. Of course, they could only counsel and offer prayers, but the actual battle, she thought, would have to be fought between herself and whomever took Sean. She entered the dining room and saw Nicole laboring over the table, setting up the china. Nicole quickly looked up, letting her hands fall to her side. Lisa looked around. Everything was perfectly set, and the room was sparkling clean. Vicky had to be here, she thought. Nicole, 
Everything looks so nice. Thank you so much. Nicole threw a quick smile. Where's Mrs. Bunn? At first, Nicole didn't understand the question, but then realized her mother couldn't concede that only she had a hand in this. Well, Nicole looked at her watch. I think she'd probably be home eating breakfast about now. Before Lisa could respond, Brad came through the kitchen door with a plate of scrambled eggs. He stopped dead in his tracks when he saw his mother standing near the table, shrugged his shoulders, and then placed the plate in the middle of the table. He looked at his mother and said, Surprise, Brad, said Nicole. He was supposed to wait for her so they could say it together. Brad shrugged his shoulders. Hey, she looked surprised to me. Nicole smiled and shook her head. Brad was still as unpredictable as ever, a typical brother. Surprise, Mom, we were hoping to be finished before you came down. Lisa put her hands on her face. Her children never made her breakfast and seemed to be working so well together without throwing words at each other. You two did this. My goodness. I thank you so much. Nicole looked at her brother and cocked her head. Brad caught the motion. The two moved to their mother and gave her a long, hard hug. Lisa couldn't stop the tears from falling as she held her children. After a long embrace, Lisa looked at them, not able to form any words. Brad pulled his mother's chair back and asked her to sit down. Once seated, he rushed back into the kitchen, while Nicole proceeded in lighting several candles on the table. Lisa watched in amazement as both of her children brought out bacon, bagels, cream cheese, fruit salad, Belgian waffles, English muffins, orange juice, coffee, and milk. And to top it off, Nicole placed a bouquet of flowers in Lisa's favorite vase on the table. The two sat down close to their mother, looked at their work, and were pleased. Who's going to eat all of this food? asked Lisa. Hey, you've got nothing to worry about, said Brad. The Brad man's here. Nicole shook her head. And if you need some Atlanta later, it's in the bathroom, she said to him. The two laughed, leaving Lisa wondering if she was dreaming. All of this was so unlike her two kids. She always prayed they'd start getting along better, but to have something like this happen overnight was unimaginable. When the laughter died down, Nicole took charge over the breakfast feast. Well, I guess we better eat before the food gets cold, I'll say grace, said Nicole. Fine with me, said Brad, I'm saving my mouth for the food. Nicole ignored her brother and closed her eyes. Even with her eyes shut, she felt awkward and unsure. She knew her mother was looking at her but kept her eyes closed as to not lose her nerve. Nicole took a deep breath and started praying. Jesus, we want to thank you for the breakfast before us today. Thank you for the house we have, the food before us today. She shook her head. I've already said that, she thought. Why was she having a hard time praying? She was about to pass the responsibility on her mother when she remembered the girl from last night. Nicole paused, then continued. Jesus, we want to thank you for giving us our mother. She's truly a blessing, even though we tend to forget and take her for granted. We know it's because of you we're able to sit here together as a family. Despite the storm brewing around us, you told us to give you all our burdens since we can't handle them. And right now, I want you to take the burden from my mother for this family. Don't let her think and feel that only she can fight against what is trying to destroy us. You've never meant for any of us to carry such a heavy load, for it's a weight that can break us, and I don't want my mother to get hurt. Lord, help her see she has a son and daughter who will stand by her, no matter the situation. We may seem only children to her, but with your strength we're much more. 
With the three of us together, nothing can come against this family and succeed. So Lord, both Brad and me would like to lift up our mother. Help her to share her burden and not to carry it alone. Nicole paused. Oh, and Lord, she continued. Bless this food and don't let Brad make a pig out of himself, like he always does. Amen? Hey, you worry about your stomach, and I'll worry about mine, Brad joked. Nicole looked at her mother, whose eyes were still closed, and saw tears streaming down her cheeks. Both Brad and Nicole remained silent. Brad looked solemnly at his sister, who shook her head. Their mother needed time to express herself. After a long, awkward moment, Lisa opened her eyes and looked lovingly at her two children. Thank you, she whispered. All of this has been too hard, too hard. She wiped the tears from her face and then smiled. Thank you for the wonderful breakfast. It's beautiful and it's not even my birthday. Nicole stood up and walked over to Lisa. Brad echoed her moves and both of them hugged their mother and told her that they loved her. Lisa tried to fight back a new wave of tears but gave up. The three of them hugged each other for a timeless moment until they heard a low grumbling. Brad backed up. Uh, sorry. They all laughed and took their seats. Both Lisa and Nicole were amazed at how Brad tore into the food. After breakfast, the family sat down in the living room and talked, mostly about Sean. They all shared their fears, hopes, and prayers. Lisa didn't hold anything back from her children about what she knew, her ability to see those twisted by evil, and her deepest fears about her husband. Nicole told him how she held back from trying to feel anything and about her dream last night. Brad shared how he wished everything were back to normal, how he missed his father, and how life itself didn't seem fair. Time flew, and in two hours they totally emptied themselves. They agreed to always keep the channel of communication open. They were united in their faith and strengthened by their unity. Chapter Robin Hood The apartment was simple and small. Antique furniture and cracked oil paintings dominated the domicile, while framed pictures of family and friends littered almost every flat surface. There were only three rooms, a kitchen, a bathroom, and a multi-purpose room. It was in the multi-purpose room that Anne-Marie stood, making herself familiar with the tight quarters. After Julie locked the door, she took Anne-Marie's things, shoved them in a corner, and rushed into the kitchen to start the tea. When she returned, Anne-Marie was sitting on the sofa bed, staring at the one part of the room that didn't match the decor. Julie glanced at where she was looking and smiled. Hey, just because I like antiques doesn't mean I have to live in the same era. Want to check it out? Anne-Marie nodded. Julie rushed over to her computer corner and flicked on the search protector. Immediately, the two computers came to life and started communicating with each other. One the master, the other the workstation. Once all information was booted, the workstation reached out on the satellite dish on the roof and connected to the first satellite television channel accessible. It then piggybacked off the signal and connected to the internet. With the computer's own firewall fully activated and the illegal connection encrypted, Julie was up and running. She sat down in front of the workstation, motioned for Anne-Marie to come closer, and then rapidly entered a major internet provider. She searched for clients with continuous connection to a provider, selected one, and opened his email account. Wait a minute, Julie. What? What are you doing? Julie turned to Anne-Marie and smiled. I don't do this to hurt other people, but to only stay one step ahead of my competition. 
competition. You know, antiques. I'm a serious antique hunter. I use whatever advantage I can find to get ahead of the competition. Don't you think it's wrong? Asked Anne-Marie. Aye, I'm beginning to think so. But it does have its advantages, Julie said. Like what, Julie? What good can possibly come of this? Julie turned to the computer and sighed. She closed out the email account and turned to Anne-Marie again. Anne-Marie, pull up a chair, said Julie. Anne-Marie sat next to her. Look, I have this interest, well, gift for computers. I've always understood them and even had the ability to push them further than other people can. Programming, hardware or software, it makes no difference to me. Whatever I'd imagine, I can do it. Oh, there were others like me, and when I was a teenager we formed a group. You could almost call us hackers, but we didn't hurt anyone. We just used current technology as a way of getting ahead in life. There were times we thought about hacking into secure mainframes, just to see if we could do it, but that was lame and shallow. Instead, we used it to help people, including ourselves. I can almost remember the time I was clocked at going 60 kilometers per hour in a 45 kilometers per hour zone. I was only going 50 kph. The officer lied, probably wanted to meet his quota before the end of the day, and wrote me a ticket. I was livid. I didn't do anything wrong, so I went into the system and erased all of the tickets issued by that officer. Julie held up her hand. I know, I know. It wasn't right, but I felt like a modern-day Robin Hood. It felt good. When we got older, we all went our separate ways, but I still had that Robin Hood mentality strong within me. I wanted to help people, so I became a nurse. A nurse, said Anne-Marie, trying to keep up with her. You went from a computer genius to a nurse all in one night. Julie smiled. No. It took me several years to get my degree, she joked. Anyway, I felt one of the largest injustices in the world was the way people were treated in the hospital system. You should know, you live in the United States. The more money you have, the better medical attention you get. HMO used to treat you like a number and push you through like a factory assembly line. Don't get me wrong, I don't blame the doctors, I blame the system. So anyway, I helped people get the proper attention they needed. Money was no option. I see, said Anne-Marie. And where did the money come from? From the hospital's charity fund that they hold on to, moving it from one security fund to the next, gaining interest and dividends. It's a joke. It's meant to help people in need, but only a small portion of that money is ever seen. So you stole the money? No, I didn't, said Julie, defending herself. It was theirs, it belongs to the people. I just gave it to whom it was supposed to go to. And who gave you the right to decide who gets it and who doesn't? asked Anne-Marie, as gently as she could. Julie lowered her head. I don't do that anymore. I know it's wrong. What I do now is anomalously petition the right people, suggesting that if a particular patient isn't helped, that what they're doing with the money will be revealed to the local news. They don't know who I am, but they hate me. They call me Robin Hood. Well, that's the name I gave them. Anne-Marie, I don't think that what I'm doing is wrong. I'm using the tools that we all have to help others who can't help themselves. Now about antiques, I have no excuse. That's one of my weaknesses. And Marie placed a hand on Julie's shoulder. I'm not here to judge you. I've recently done things I'd never considered doing for some time in order to get where I am today. I'm sure God has a plan for your talent. After an hour of praying, 
reading the word, drinking tea, and watching television. Anne-Marie was spent. She didn't know what else to do. Praying and reading the word didn't help her see what to do next, and Julie wasn't any help since she labored for hours, talking of herself in her computer corner. That's it, shouted Julie, making Anne-Marie jump, spilling her tea on the floor. Julie turned to Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie could see the hint of red in her eyes. I know why God brought us together, said Julie. You do? Yes, Anne-Marie. If we weren't together, what would you have done? Well, let's see. Oh, I don't know. Come on. What would be your first impulse? I'd contact Lisa to see how she was faring, then try to find my son. Exactly. Julie remained silent, expecting Anne-Marie to catch on. I don't get it, said Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, we have to play this exactly how they expect you to, while at the same time not. What? Now, I'm really confused. Call Lisa. I'll divert the phone number to a payphone in London. You tell her that you're coming home and need to speak to her about several important things about Sean. They don't know that you have a partner. They're assuming you're going solo. I'll catch the ID of the surveillance on your phone, then I'm in. I'll use their surveillance as a backdoor to their system, and from there find out what happened to your son. It's so simple, I don't know why I didn't think of it before. But is it safe? There's always a chance of getting caught, but if you're quick and sharp enough, there's no system that can't be manipulated. I don't know Julie. Anne-Marie wasn't as adept at computers as Julie, so she was very apprehensive. Julie sat twiddling her thumbs, staring at Anne-Marie. I prayed for an answer, but didn't really come up with anything. Maybe the Lord wants us to do something else, said Anne-Marie. Julie continued to twiddle her thumbs. Anne-Marie sighed. All right, what are you doing? Exactly what you want me to do. Sitting here in this chair and twiddle my thumbs. Anne-Marie, you prayed for an answer. And to me this looks like the best plan we got. God placed us together because we both have something unique to offer. Trust me. Breathing heavily, Anne-Marie agreed. Immediately, Julie was back in her chair and started writing her plans out on a legal pad. Nearly two hours later, she went over the plans with Anne-Marie. When she felt comfortable that Anne-Marie had a good handle on what to do, they both prayed, then prepared to call Lisa. Anne-Marie adjusted the headphones and placed the microphone in front of her mouth. Julie made the proper arrangements and then dialed Lisa's home phone number. Anne-Marie heard the dial tone, the numbers being entered, and the phone ringing. She took a deep breath and waited for the phone to answer. Julie saw what she expected to see on the monitor before Lisa answered the phone and quickly went to work. Hello, said Lisa answering the phone. Lisa, this is Anne-Marie. Don't say anything, this call may be traced so I don't have much time. Anne-Marie, I, listen Lisa. I'm calling because I want you to know that I'm okay. I have so much to tell you, but that'll have to wait. I want you to know that everything's fine, and I'll be contacting you soon in a way that can't be traced. Tell the kids I said hello. I love you all very much, and if everything goes well the whole family will be together soon. Know what I mean? Uh, yes, Lisa answered, tentatively. Good. Got to go. Don't want to be located. Bye, honey talk to you soon. Bye, said Lisa. Anne-Marie turned to Julie when the call ended. How's that? Good, said Julie, giving Anne-Marie a thumbs up. I'm in, but have to be careful. Talk later. Oh, Anne-Marie tried to relax in the chair as she watched Julie. 
Her fingers flew over the keyboard as beads of sweat formed on her forehead. This was a side of Julie and Marie never had a clue about. She was sure that not many other people were aware of it too. When Julie first dialed Lisa's phone number, a tracer immediately locked onto the false number she assigned. Her program immediately captured the signal and threw her into the tracing program. From there she quickly maneuvered around the tracer program and to the computer, and from there to the mainframe where she came against one of the most sophisticated firewalls she'd ever seen. She masked her intrusion, hoping not to bring unwanted attention to her actions, and then proceeded in analyzing the firewall protecting the land system she wanted to hack. She felt the trickling of sweat beads on her forehead as she labored. This is hard, she thought to herself. I can't stay here too long, or I'll most likely be detected. She tried all of her tricks and programs that had always worked in the past to no avail. The firewall was impervious. It wasn't going to work. A mess. Anne-Marie, she shouted, not realizing her volume and causing Anne-Marie to jump out of her seat. Get ready, I'm calling Lisa back. What? I, but we just, just get ready, Julie shouted. And Marie quickly put on the headphones, heard the ringing, and prepared herself for, what was she going to say? She looked at Julie, whose eyes were wide with expectation. Hello, said Lisa. And Marie heard a muffled, yes, come from Julie. Lisa, this is me, Anne Marie again, I, did you understand what I said about the whole family being together again? Yes, Anne Marie. You meant the whole family, Lisa answered. Aunt Marie felt something against her back. Julie threw a piece of bald paper to get her attention. She made a motion with her hand across her neck. Aunt Marie understood. Bye, got to go. With the call over, she turned to Julie. The girl was in a zone and there was no talking to her now. Just before Aunt Marie answered the phone, a signal escaped the firewall. It was much too fast for anyone to notice but Julie's software picked it up immediately, applied a stealth reverse stream that piggybacked against the outward flow of data, and made it pass the firewall before it closed. The entire event transpired in less than a nanosecond, but was long enough for Julie's program to take advantage of it. Where to go first, she thought. Julie carefully searched the directory maps, file and folder structures, and username directory when she paused, amazed at where she was. This was neither the FBI, CIA, NSA, nor any known organization. It called itself the GA Network, an acronym for God's Agents and was massive, containing numerous subgroups. The largest subgroup she viewed was called Sheol, with over a quarter of a million names associated with it. The GA Network was global and contained names from nearly every nation. Some were familiar political officials while unknown others possessed positions of strategic importance. Julie activated the program she called Sponge and initiated the download of the entire list of names in the network while she continued her search. She examined encrypted files pertaining to company policies, past and present projects, financial backing, and hierarchy. Instructing Sponge to make copies of those files, hoping to break their encryption later, she forged on, viewing interesting stuff and bypassing the obvious. After several minutes, she had weaved her way through most of the system except for the core region. Before venturing closer, she assessed the area and determined that its configuration was unknown. The inner circle, she thought, that's an interesting name, looks very important. A programming language she had never seen before protected the entire region. It looked like a typical firewall, 
but didn't act like one. This was confounding. Nothing went in and nothing came out. It looked inert, but at the same time active. This is beyond cutting edge. I'll never get in there, and if I tried I'd probably be detected, she thought. Julie never backed down from a challenge, but in this case, all of her instincts told her to back off. She was sure whatever was protected inside was sweeter than anything she found so far, but she got what she came for. She checked Sponge, making sure that it finished copying files, and before disconnecting double-checked to make sure any traces of her intrusion were negligible. Once disconnected, she slumped back in her chair and checked her watch. Forty-five intense minutes had passed. Anne Marie brought her a glass of cold water and waited patiently as Julie gulped it down. Anne Marie then pulled up a chair and waited. Julie looked at her computer, then at Anne Marie. It'll take a little while for me to break the encryption. I'll start the program soon, but I think you'll be more interested in something else. She brought up the name list and scrolled down until she came across the name Sean Duquesne. Double-clicking the name, she opened his file and found numbers pertaining to latitude, longitude, and a phone number. She opened her GPS program and entered the numbers. This is close to Brunswick, Maine, in the United States. The number is undoubtedly unlisted, so I'll find its reference to dress from the phone company's mainframe. It'll take no time at all. Julie stood up and stretched. She'd been cramped in her computer corner for hours. I'm going to take a shower, have a bite, and then we'll find your son and take a look at the files, she said. Julie started her program, called Encryption Buster, and then took a well-deserved break. Minutes later, she was back at her computer hacking the local phone company in Maine without any difficulty. She retrieved the address for the unlisted phone number, and then checked the progress of Encryption Buster. It was only at 1% completed. Even the encryption was harder than normal to break, she thought. She showed Anne-Marie the address. Never heard of it said Anne-Marie. Have you ever been there? asked Julie. No, Julie smiled, and that's why you never heard of it. She looked at the computer still working hard on the encrypted files. So what do we do now? Anne-Marie scratched her forehead. As far as the GA network knows, I'm in London, planning on making my way back home. They'll be looking for me there, and from the large list of names you uncovered, they have the manpower to do it. 357,991 to be exact, in the biggest subgroup alone and counting," said Julie. And Marie shook her head. I believe the best we can do now is to pray for Sean, that God will intervene and save his life. Right now we're too far away to be of any physical help, but I know our God is able," said Anne Marie, torn that she couldn't do more.